We're going to be in John chapter 17 um, to do a quick recap of a lot of the things we've, we've discussed. Uh, Jesus has already finished his public ministry. We see, we see that wrapping up in chapter 12. In chapter 13, we start seeing him with his disciples having some personal messages with his people, with his disciples. Just think, if you knew it was going to be the last night that you would see somebody alive, what would be the last things that you would say to them before you departed? Um, And we see a lot of the things that he has to say about him being the truth, what it means to be a servant uh, how he washes the disciples' feet. He talks about the the coming of the helper, the spirit, and the peace that uh, he's going to give them. We see the last of the I am statements that we, we typically list um, as being, I am the true vine and my father's the vine dresser. And just as Jesus is about to be rejected... Uh, by by the priests, the Pharisees, by his own followers. Uh, he says that the world's going to hate them and is going to reject them uh, as well. However, uh, the sorrow that he's going to uh, go through is going to be turned into uh, joy. And in verse 33 of chapter 16, uh, he, he says here... Uh, In the world you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And we see how he has been overcoming the world throughout the book. And we're going to see that in its climax uh, as the book comes, comes to an end. Chapter 17 is a uh, prayer. Uh, Jesus is going to be lifting his eyes to heaven and speaking to his father. Uh, speaking to his father uh, here. When this happens or where the actual location is, it's, it's, there are some different parts in here. If you look in chapter 14, verse 31, arise, let us go from here. So perhaps they're no longer part- uh, participating in the meal. Uh, and in ver- but in verse 18, it says that they are crossing over the book Kidron. And so it's between Gethsemane and, uh, and his last feast with them, in which case he's praying. Perhaps he's walking and praying at the same time uh, in this. So any thoughts or comments before we get into chapter 17? Okay, Um, I've asked Chris to go ahead and read chapter 17 for us, and then we'll have some comments. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you have gave me out of the world. 
yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these I speak, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As, I, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know you, or know that you have sent me. I I may know to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Thank you. This is a dense prayer, one of the longest prayers we have recorded, certainly the longest prayer of Jesus that we have uh, recorded here. Uh, there is a lot to unpack, a lot of themes, and some of these themes have been ones that have been woven through some of these previous uh, chapters. What are some of the themes that you have seen, uh, seen it pop up in this prayer? And feel free to make comments. I'm going to try to repeat uh, what uh, is said uh, so that everybody can hear. But what, what stands out to you uh, that we might have seen or heard of before? Yeah, correct. Asking to be glorified, and he had asked that before, and as he's glorifying the Father. Okay, so the so so Carrie mentions the the glorification, um, and that's that's a complex concept that we'll get into as to what that 
means, what it looks like. Okay, what else? Yes, Raymond. Very good. So there, there is this uh, difference between the world and those who are his, those who are the fathers. Okay, good. Yes. That is what you were going to say? Yes, very good. Yes, Mitch. There's been several times through the book where it was mentioned that it's not his time, his time had not yet come, um, it had not been accomplished yet. Okay, so so let's start with that one. What we see as uh, one of the first things he says in this prayer, as he's lifting up his eyes, thinking about where, like, where God is, is in, in his mind speaking to him. Um, says in verse one, Father, the hour has come. That concept of the hour, we. Ah, it's dead. I'll just go upstairs or go up to the top. So as we are looking at... Um, Some of the things that we've already been discussing... um, The hour has come. Previously, we've seen where Jesus said, My time has not yet come. We saw that with the very first miracle. We saw that at one of the feast days when his brothers were encouraging him to go go to Jerusalem for the feast. And he says, I'm not going to go in the way that you want me to. My time has not yet come. And and time and time again, he has said, no, it's not time. But starting uh, right after his entry into Jerusalem, that final entry, we see he says, the time has now come for me to go back to the Father, for me to be, to, for me to glorify the Father. And so uh, we see that, and we're going to see what what that actually looks like. Uh, in this prayer and in the chapters that follow. He prays, as was already mentioned, uh, in verse 1 and following, glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you, and as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. When he's asking for glorification, what do you, what do you make of that? What do we? What does the word "glorify" mean to you? Yeah, Mitch. Uh, it's greatness may be shown. Okay, so there is an element of the of greatness being shown or displayed. Good. What else? 
and they're on the same line to make bigger to the world. Okay, so lifting up, exalting, magnifying, you said making it bigger, giving it some weight, uh, weightiness to it, really seeing God as who he is. And, but does that seem to be selfish that, that Jesus is saying glorify your son? Is he, is it, is he doing that selfishly? What, what do you, what do you think of that? Okay, so so you're saying giving credit to credit is due. The Father and the Son are one. They are the same. Uh, this entire it's not selfish glorification. This entire prayer is focused on God and on God's people. Uh, and uh, Jesus is wanting to glorify Him at the end of verse one. Uh, he's doing that through His. Humility through his obedience. Uh, and then, how is God going to glorify Jesus? Well, by, by lifting him up, by exalting him for what he is doing, for the love that he is demonstrating. Yes, sir. Absolutely. So, so it, it, you're saying in verse four, uh, I glorified you on the earth. I finished the work. So, finishing the work, the ministry, uh, the the work that God has given him. That word "given" is used like 17 times in here. It says what God has given him. He is he is doing now. Some have said, well, has he truly finished the work? Well, in a sense, he has it by, by living out his perfect life, the teachings, having this one last night to, to share uh, his important message with his followers. He has gotten the chance to do the will of God. Um, the, yes? The actual Greek word for the for glorify there, it says... When it's spoken of God and Christ meaning to glorify, to render conspicuous and glorious the divine character and attributes of God as glorified by the Son and by Christians. So it's through us being his children and overcoming the world, we show his glory within us. That that's how he's glorified through his son and through us. By us taking on who he is and what he does. Okay, so so yeah, you're you're saying that there is uh, showing the the might of God, the character of God, His divine nature there. That's interesting. Okay. 
Okay, so part of that glorification is the unity that that is a part of uh, being one with one another and with Jesus, just as Jesus is one with the Father. Yes, Glorify means to praise or to worship. And, and when we think about that in regards to Christ, what he does on the cross brings him that praise and worship from us. When we look at what he's done, it brings praise and glory and worship from us. You know, today I was listening to somebody talk about, um, you know, glorify Ukraine or Ukraine be glory to Ukraine. And I'm thinking somewhere along the line, somebody ought to say glory to God instead of glorifying or praising something like that. We might think of praising and worshiping God is what is more important. Okay, so that, that idea of giving praise to where it is due, credit to where it's due, that being to God. Very good. Um, looking at what he continues on to say, God has given him authority. Uh, while he was here over all flesh, over these uh, uh, priests and Pharisees, over the Roman uh, authority, the Roman government, the Sanhedrin, over all flesh, and that applies to even us today. He has been given all authority with what purpose? That he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Uh, this concept of eternal life, there's a little bit of an explanation as to what eternal life looks like uh, in verse 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. What stands out to you with, with that being our, our framework, as it were, of um, eternal life? It's the knowing him. It's not knowing about him. They know him. There is. Absolutely. That, that uh, the concept of life and eternal, everlasting life is what we're to boast in, that no one boasts except that we know God, that we know His character. Yes? When we hear or think of eternal life, we generally think of being in heaven with God. But this isn't talking about that. If you know God and you live for Him, you have eternal life. You just haven't gotten to heaven yet. I think we need to, to your point of, of associating that with heaven, I think we need to just overhaul or rethink what eternal life is. It's not necessarily heaven. It's not... Uh, what, what do we mean by heaven? What do we mean by eternal life? What does, what does it mean to know God? Is it just on a superficial level? Is it an intellectual component? It's not necessarily live, walking on clouds. It's not about uh, it's not about infinite time or just about uh, living without disease and problems. It's about knowing, and that kind of knowledge that is mutual 
1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12, in that love chapter, the kind of love that we share with the Father is described in terms of we know Him just as He knows us. That kind of intimate, reciprocal kind of knowledge. In a lot of older uh, translations of Bibles, if you look, say, at Genesis chapter 4, it, I think it's purposeful that it uses the term that Adam knew his wife and she conceived, that that kind of intimate kind of relationship, being reciprocal, and that's what eternal life looks like. It looks like being known by God and knowing God as He is. And and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Again, this is a thing that we've seen, uh, that Jesus is not doing this on His own will. He is, he is sent from God, and He's here to accomplish His Father's will. And to add to the concept of glory that we've already been discussing, uh, in verse 5, again, o, and now, O Father, Glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus has had many different aspects of glory. There's a lot of different facets to this kind of uh, diamond that uh, he had glory when he was, before he came in the flesh, and he still had glory in the flesh. But he emptied himself of some of that uh, in in his birth and in his life. There's glory in his teachings, in his signs. We saw back in chapter 2 that the very first sign that he did, it said that he manifested his glory in that. Uh, We're going to see later on that the cross is the glory that Jesus is given. Uh, and that restoration of being one and being united with the Father. Uh, more thoughts through verses 1 through 8. Yes, thank you. I know we've kind of touched on it, but verse 1 um, kind of makes me think that Jesus is asking for There's an element of, in this prayer, Jesus is wanting to fulfill his Father's will. He's wanting to complete the joy of his Father. Um, And he knows that he can't do that alone. That he needs the aid of his Father. Good. Uh, there is uh, he was there from the beginning. 
So, so I'm talking about how Jesus is serving as both sacrifice and the sacrifice or the priest. Um, and I've heard this referred to as um, perhaps the high priestly prayer, um, where he is praying, on, praying in preparation for the sacrifice. He is representing uh, the nation or the world, as it were. There's also an element that this is much more intimate of prayer than, say, a, a representative like a high priest for praying for the rest of his nation that he is representing, but he may not be on a personal basis with. He is, we see a much closer intimacy there uh, in his prayer. That's wrong. Focus uh, 
to his disciples and how that is in connection with the glory for the Father. If 
we are tied to Jesus. That's a good point, that we must be tied with Jesus. We must be attached to him. And, and just as I am not of the world, they are not.
So that refining process is what you're saying, you're connecting it with sanctification, that we can't just say in word only or in doctrine only, I follow Jesus. It is made evident, and the word will and the world will know that we are one when we are transformed into his likeness. And we are one in that respect. Son of destruction. Other translations may say son of perdition. Uh, perdition just means lost. Um, that's a that's a good question. Uh, Jesus has done his part as as the shepherd to keep them. Um, if you're if you're thinking of uh, Judas uh, in this respect, uh, he. He chooses to not be kept. He chooses to... He, he does not want to be part of, of this flock. Uh, it's not that he is the son of perdition against his will. He's not some kind of victim in that. Um, this, this son of perdition or destruction, it implies the this fact that he is lost, not that he's helpless in this respect. Um, now, in a sense... Uh, is Judas the only one that betrays Jesus? No. Well, he's talking specifically to the apostles. Yes. If it, you know, so he's not talking to the apostles here. Well, he's talking to God, and, right? So, so, so perhaps in, in saying that he has kept all that were truly his, except the son of predi- prediction and destruction. Yeah. So, in a sense, yeah, maybe. My uh, my hand for sanctified says in Greek it means maybe set apart for holy service to God. So that sanctification is something that is carried out in life. It's not just this thing that happens. It's seen. True. That it's related to that word sanctification uh, is related to the word saint or holy. So there's connection uh, in that. Yes. Judas followed him, but in a sense was not of 
of the flock. And so, yeah, he, he has mentioned in previous, even going back to chapter 6, that there that one of them is going to betray uh, betray him. And again, chapter 13, that's it. Mitch, So, I had a cross-reference as well. It was to John 6, verse 70 and 71. Yeah. Jesus answered them that I myself might choose you the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil. And supposedly that word a devil is the same as son of destruction. And seventy-one said, Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for the one of the twelve he was going to betray. Okay, very good. So yeah, that, that passage again is John six verses seven and seventy-one. Based on their mission. 
Jesus finished his mission, finished the work that God had given him. Their, their job is to fulfill God's work, and he's praying for the people who are going to be believing in, in their work. In verses 20 and following, pray not for these alone, but for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. We need to be united in the truth. We need to know what the truth is. We need to be living the truth in our lives. And as we are transformed by that truth, a byproduct of that is going to be godly unity. Unity cannot exist apart from believing in God, in Jesus, and in the word of his disciples. And the glory which you gave me, I have sent, I have given them, verse 22, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them, and you in, in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. The way that unity is, is attained is through love. It's through being intertwined and interwoven in that perfect love, that servitude, that emptying of ourselves just as Jesus emptied out himself. Uh, he, he continues to refer to uh, God as his Father. We saw previously in verse 11, Holy Father, in verse 25, Righteous Father, he is pouring out his hearts and uh, saying, The world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and I will declare. That, that brings to chapter 1, verse 18, that Jesus is the one who has made God known. To, to the world. That the love which you, with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. What other thoughts do you have in, in this? It's a prayer for us today. It's not just about, uh, in verse 20, it's kind of about the only love for those. So it's a, uh, it's a timeless prayer.
And, and as we as we live our lives, what is the world seeing among people of God? Is it unity? Is it sanctification? Is it truth? Uh, we're going to pick up with uh, chapter 18 uh, next week. So thank you all for your comments, and we will uh, we'll pick up there next time.